reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 52, page 1062. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 52, page 1062. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, on the third day, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This is the word of God. Lord Jesus, you opened the minds of those first disciples so they could understand the scriptures. We pray that you give us the help of your Holy Spirit today that we might understand these scriptures we've just read. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I don't know what you make of um, ghost stories and miracle stories and resurrections. Uh, Some people are quite open to that sort of thing, quite accepting of that sort of thing. Other people are much more naturally sceptical. They think, well, you know, those things don't happen. They're hardly likely. And if you're on the more sceptical end of things, you're in good company with the disciples that we're reading about. Uh, This is the end of an extraordinary day for them, the first Easter Sunday. Uh, They've heard reports of Jesus' resurrection right through the day. Uh, First, if you flip the page back to verse 11, they've heard uh, the women who went to the tomb in the morning. They came back saying, he is not here, he is risen. And then verse 11 reports their reaction. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And now at the end of the chapter, evening has fallen. Two of them, who'd set out towards this place called Emmaus earlier in the evening, have just come bursting back through the door saying, we've met him. And then if you look down to verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. What was their reaction? 
verse 37, startled and frightened. Someone's in the room, he looked just like Jesus. It must be a ghost, is what they thought. So actually right through this chapter, and in this bit we've just read, do you see, the disciples weren't expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. It's not what they were expecting. Even though Jesus repeatedly taught them it was going to happen. But they'd heard him say it, but they didn't believe it. And actually, even though, if you look back to verse 34, just at the end of the last page, they're already saying, well, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. So Simon Peter has already seen Jesus by this stage of the evening, and they've sort of received it as a piece of information that they haven't actually lodged in their sort of belief system yet. And that's where we're at with this group of people. Which means that this report of seeing Jesus is not some kind of group hysteria. It's not, oh, I think I caught a glimpse of him out of the corner of my eye. I think I saw him in a crowd. It's not that. What we have at the end of Luke's Gospel is eyewitnesses telling Luke, the writer, what they saw on that first Easter Sunday. The event that changed everything for them. They're not misty-eyed dreamers. When Jesus appears, they're frightened because they realise something supernatural is going on. They're aware of that. And that's why they jump to the only conclusion that makes any sense to them. It's a ghost, which according to the dictionary is the soul or spirit of a dead person which manifests, manifests itself to the living. That's what they thought was happening. But what happens next in verses 39 and 40 is what changes everything. Because what happens is Jesus, their teacher, their friend, the one they'd seen brutally executed, walks amongst them, clasps the shoulder of one, shows the nail marks in his hands. It is I myself, he says, verse 39, look at my hands and my feet, touch me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have and what we have in this chapter is a two-stage process, a two-stage recognition, a real resurrection witnessed, and then a real resurrection understood. The first of those, a real resurrection witnessed, is what happened for these disciples. It's a little tiny bit like uh, the fans of Ajax, the Dutch side, going to Real Madrid in the last 16 of the Champions League this year with a 2-1 deficit and then coming home after a 4-1 victory. No one was expecting it. That was my point. But it did happen. And if you were Dutch, let alone an Ajax supporter, it was a source of great joy. That was the tiny illustration of what the disciples experienced. They weren't expecting this. They weren't. Their initial reaction was what yours would have been or mine would have been. They were startled, they were frightened, they had all sorts of doubts and questions. But then once it dawned on them that this was real, it had really happened, verse 41, their reaction was joy. It's overwhelming, it's so much joy and amazement that they actually, they, they still don't believe because they're just overwhelmed with their feelings. It's too good to be true. Again, this just has the ring of eyewitness testimony about it. And so what Jesus does, practical as ever, he gives them further evidence. Do you have anything here to eat? And they pass them a piece of fish, and you can imagine some of them thinking, 
oh, is he going to be able to pick it up? Is he going to kind of, oh, oh yeah, we can. Uh, and when it, oh, oh, is it going to go straight? Is it going to fall out the bottom? Um, oh, no, it's not. Okay, it's, it's, oh, it's kind of normal. He swallowed it. Okay, that's what they saw. And that's why these disheartened disciples who ran away when Jesus was arrested, who, who watched from a distance as he's crucified, these frightened disciples, frightened fishermen, some of them, are transformed into passionate preachers of the message of Jesus Christ for the whole world, not least the message that he is risen. There's a very simple reason for the change. They saw him, they touched him, and they ate with him. It was a real resurrection, and they witnessed it. That's what stands behind what we read in Luke's Gospel and the rest of the New Testament. Luke explains in the first four uh, verses of his Gospel the way he's gone about things. He says he's carefully investigated everything and then decided to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's what he wants for us. And that's what he's ending his gospel doing for us. He's giving us one more uh, true story of an encounter with the risen Jesus that we might know the certainty of this hope we have of the forgiveness of sins, of being right with God forever through his Son. Well, I've just declared there what they then came to understood, that, that they were still at this stage kind of they'd witnessed something but they hadn't yet understood it and and the the way they came to understand it that's the next step Uh, what did Jesus do with them verse 45 he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures that's what it was for them he didn't sort of um, just sort of explain it all again he said well listen I'm going to take you to where you can find it out for yourself in the Bible because then when he's ascended to heaven as he's about to do they can still go back to the Bible and still discover more of him. And so that's why, as I suggested at the beginning, that we all prayed according to verse 45, that's actually how we get to know Jesus today, how we understand as well. It's as we read the Bible and as he opens our minds to understand the scriptures, and so that's why we pray before we do it. Please help me, please help us by your Holy Spirit. For them, the thing they couldn't get their head round was the fact that Jesus had to suffer and die. We said already, verse 44, he taught them that he had to over and over again, but they never understood it. Because certain words go together, don't they? Uh, Fish, chips, maybe, salt, vinegar, or maybe pepper. For Jesus' followers, Messiah, Glory, victory, getting rid of the Romans, God's kingdom on earth, evil banished, everything put right. Those were what came to mind when they heard the word Messiah. And Jesus is all of that. But first, he's the Messiah who suffers and bleeds and dies on the cross. But actually, that's why he's the Messiah is such good news for people not just back then, for not just people in Israel, but for the world and for all time. Uh, Sometimes we ask when something horrendous happens in the world, why doesn't God use his power to sort out the mess, to stop the pain? But the question the Bible poses for us is, how can God do that 
and at the same time save people who are part of the mess and who cause some of the mess and cause some of the pain. People like you and me. And the answer is the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, one day Jesus will come in power, the Messiah, to judge the world, just like the Old Testament promises. He will rid the world of every last shred of sin and evil and wrongdoing, which would be very bad news for me and for you if he hadn't first come to do something to deal with my wrongdoing and my sin and yours and that of the world. And that's what he came to do. He came to take on responsibility for all of that, to lay down his life on the cross and to use his power to defeat sin and death and hell forever and then to rise. And what he's done in doing that is making a fair and just and right way back to God which takes sin seriously, which allows him at the end to judge it all because he's taken some of that judgment on himself for your sin and mine if we put our faith in him. And the result, verse 47, is that forgiveness of sins in his name can be preached to all nations, even far-flung nations like this one. One simple condition see that in verse 47 repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to the nation simple condition is this thing repentance it's about turning repentance God is prepared to say to you and me all the wrong you've ever done all the times you've ever gone against me every failure in your life every time you've fallen short of what I created you for all of those things they deserve to be punished but I'll forgive you because Jesus has been through the cross he's been punished already in your place and repentance receiving that is is doing a u-turn it's turning from sin wrong going my own way and turning to jesus christ to the way of god it's not giving up a few bad habits for, for Lent. It's much more if this is a road along the front here and this way is, is my way. It's, it's the way where I think, well, I'll sort out my own problems. I'll be my own saviour. I'll make up my own rules. I'll be my own Lord. And I occasionally reference the living God that way. I occasionally, if I need something, might go, God, give me some help here as I go my way. And repentance is saying, oh, that is the wrong way for me to live. That's not the way I'm made. I shouldn't be my own saviour, my own Lord. Because there's a real Lord, a God who knows me better than I know myself. There's a real saviour, the one who died and rose again for me and for the world. And repentance is turning from trusting myself, trusting my way, to trusting him. And trusting his way and taking the next step in following him that's what he looks for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins for all nations including for you and for me if you've never received that personally there's a little book that we uh, use uh, it's called Knowing God Personally and there are copies on the left hand side as you go out on a little rack so do uh, take one pop it in your pocket and just read through that there's a prayer at the end that would help you to put into words that turning from my way to God to receive his forgiveness and his spirit within us. 
Uh, for others, it might leave you with lots of questions, all this sort of topic. Uh, we were, had multiple copies of this on Easter Day. There's one left. I'd love to give it to someone today. And if uh, there are two people who want one, then I'll happily order the second person one uh, and uh, give it to you next week or whenever it arrives. Uh, the case for Easter, it's uh, by a cynical journalist who looked into it and found, goodness me, this actually happened. And uh, he tells you his story here. It's, uh, it's really good. Uh, we're going to end, though, with three fruits. Three, three things, three differences this makes in our lives as we understand it. Three things. It, if God has sent his son into the world to die and to rise, well, how does that impact you and me? Well, verse 36 is the first of them. It's implied by the first of them. The, uh, Jesus in verse 36 is, is speaking to a specific situation. He's saying, peace be with you, when his disciples are scared because they think, whoa, something's going on here. But I just want to say, on the basis of other bits in the New Testament, that actually that promise, that assurance of peace in the face of death and all that goes with it is for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus because he's died and risen again. You see, death and everything that goes with it can, because of the unknown, because of the grief, it can be frightening as well as sad. Uh, the disciples, they think they've seen a ghost and they think, whoa, you know, what's going on, what's going on? And Jesus arrives and says, peace, I've got this covered, don't worry. I don't know about you, I, I, I seem to be at the stage of life um, where um, my friends are wearing out, as well as myself, bits and bobs wearing out. A friend of mine uh, I saw yesterday had a serious stroke just before Easter. Uh, he's uh, on the ninth floor in Charing Cross Hospital at the moment. Uh, a friend of mine, another friend, just told me she's got breast cancer. Uh, a member of our church family, Christine Tansley, we have her funeral uh, a week on Thursday at West London Creme. Details on the service sheet. But what a difference it makes to know the one who has died and risen. And who says, if you trust in me, peace, I've got this covered. What a difference it makes for all three of those that I've named. And for all of us who are trusting in him. Now that's not saying our circumstances will be easy if we become Christians. It's saying, though, that we are at peace with God now and forever and we'll know him with us now as well as forever. Similarly, verse 41, the uh, reaction of the disciples, the joy that they had, and it's there at the end of the chapter, isn't it? Jesus has ascended to heaven and uh, verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple praising God. You see, as we uh, know these truths and revisit these truths, as we sing these truths, as we do in church, they, they well up within us. Uh, they, they give us a wellspring. It comes up ultimately from the Holy Spirit, actually, within the life of each Christian. That actually there is, there is an, an uplift from this reality as well as all the downers that life throws at us. The heaviness, the grief, the uncertainty, the, the fear. All those feelings that are a perfectly rational, reasonable, natural response to death and to dying and to sin and suffering. 
and sickness. And they, they weigh us down. And yet there is, a, there is something that rises because Jesus has died and risen again. There is at the core of those who know Jesus a, a place, a reality of, of hope in spite of pain, in spite of grief. And so the uh, letters of the Thessalonians, it describes uh, losing uh, Christian family and friends and, and says we, we, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve. Of course we do. But not like those who have no hope because in Jesus Christ there is a certainty and assurance and therefore a, a, a joy in these truths when we're not in the place of grief. An incredible joy, as we've sung already, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. This is real and true and wonderful because it's true. And finally, verse 48, uh, we'll say more on this in future weeks, but the eyewitnesses that uh, saw Jesus risen, they were sent out specifically by him. But in the same way, we'll want to pass on the good news, won't we? in that don't you want to pass on any good news if you're a football fan you certainly want to crow if your team's won if you've uh, just got something amazing in the sale and there's loads more in the shop you tell all your friends oh, go, go to such and such there's an amazing deal on this at the moment if you've just achieved something you might do it modestly um, have you seen the paper yeah, MBE or whatever uh, I haven't got an MBE but someone in the congregation who's not here this week has um and you just sort of, you know, you pass it on, don't you? You pass it on. You might do it proudly, you might do it modestly, but you pass on good news. We all do. That's why St. Helens Church exists. Do you know that? We, St. Helens Church doesn't primarily live, exist to look after Christians. Because God can do that much better when we're with him in heaven. It would be amazing to be with him. We were totally looked after. But in the meantime, in the here and now, of course we want to look after each other. We want to love each other. We want to love God. But we also want to love our community and pass on this good news of God's love for everyone. Each of us want to pray about doing that with the people in our lives. And in the coming months, we as a church family will be thinking about how do we make the most of the summer and uh, go and meet some of our neighbours uh, more on that soon. Well, let's end. We're on Christmas, uh, not Christmas Day, Easter Day. Uh, we, had a, we had a phrase, didn't we? I said, Alleluia, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed, Alleluia. Shall we end in that way? Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.